Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined, as always, by Will Schroeder, the founder and CEO of Startups.com. Will, there's a lot of talk about cool things that happen in the startup space, and probably the coolest of them all, at least by lore, is the exit, right? The, you know, the, the multiples that we'll get and the, the yachts that we'll buy and all of this fun stuff that'll happen someday when we go super liquid. What's cooler than that? Doing it every single year. <laughs> yes, I like that plan. No, seriously. Like, 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 we forget there are so many founders that didn't have an exit, but essentially have the functional exit every single year. And they don't make headlines, which, which is really interesting to me. I'll give you an example of somebody who did have an exit, uh, Ben Chestnut at MailChimp. MailChimp sells to Intuit for $12 billion. What people may forget, Ben exited every single year for like 20 years. Right? It, it wasn't like that was the first time he made cash. The, the reports I remember reading on the business were that they were doing about $800 million per year on insane margins uh, before they sold to, to Intuit, but for 20 years. Right. So yeah, the only thing cooler than having a big exit is having 20 of them every <laughs> single year. And he could have been having those for the next 50 years if he wanted that's to. It. Rinse and repeat. Yeah, that's, that's quite the annuity. I think when people think about, you know, how do we build this business, Ryan? How do we build a business together? And you know, how do we get to an exit, et cetera? All those things are cool, but... I'd really like to talk a little bit about what's it like to have a, just a different mindset, which by the way, like 99% of business owners already have, just the startup world. Uh, <laughs> yep. we're, we're like, you know what? How about we not dig ourselves in a massive hole and instead actually put a little bit of money back every year? And year after year, let's see that thing grow a bit until this thing becomes massive, right? Or at least massive enough so that it makes a difference to us. Sure. Yeah. Now that compounding effect is real. The other, the other part here I'd like to touch on is it's not just about like once you've decided to do your startup and like you're now in it, having that different mindset. I, I'm sure you've come across this as well. I'll talk to founders who are deciding not to start their startup because they don't see that massive like Facebook style, uh, you know, MailChimp outcome. And they're like, well, I'm not even going to begin down this path because it can't do that or I'm not sure that it can do that. And by the way, you can't be sure that it can do that. Uh, there's no right. such thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have so little control over that to begin with. But it's so painful for me to see somebody who wants to pursue things for all the right reasons and then decides not to for the one wrong one, which is that like, I don't see the moonshot here. Like, okay, but will you be financially better off than you are now? Probably. Will you enjoy what you're doing more than what you're doing now? Definitely. All right. Will, will you find this fulfilling and something you want to spend the, like the, a long period of time on the rest of your life, maybe the next 10, 15 years at a minimum? Absolutely. Okay. But you don't want to do this because you're not sure that you can exit for a billion dollars and you've planned every one of those billion dollars to do what oh exactly, God. right? <laughs> it's, it's so, just such a broken yeah. theory. I and know. I know. Just let's, let's take a different tactic and say, if we're building a business, if, if we're building our pitch deck, let's say, to go pitch to VCs, Yes. We've got to have a massive exit. That's actually how their business works. And let me stop there. All right, so before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on 
all day long online at groups.startups.com, where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. That's how their business works. VCs have to have big exits. <laughs> we don't. Nope, we <laughs> I don't. Mean, it, it, sure, nothing wrong with it. You know, We don't hate money. But at the same time, we tend to forget that what a business is supposed to do, and you touched on it, is help us. And a big part of that help is giving us wins after wins after wins. And again, outside of the startup ecosystem, you talk to your regular business owner, all my neighbors, which they happen to be business owners, like, and we kind of share this big piece of property together. And they're all just traditional business owners that built their big freaking houses because they weren't thinking about market sizes and TAMs and exit opportunities. They were like, <laughs> I'm going to build a business. Next year, it's ideally going to make more than it did last year. And it's going to keep doing that for like 30 years. And I'm going to make a ton of money when that, if that ever happens. That's actually how you're supposed to think about building a business. But I think we've been detracted, right? I think we've been pulled away from that concept, which is incredibly obvious, to be, it's got to be all or nothing. And I think today, as we're talking through this, we got to take some of that off the table. I think it's goofy. For sure. For sure. So let, let's go back to your, your notion around not starting by digging a hole. So what, what should we do instead? If we're not going to go dig the giant hole you know, a massive burn rate, you know, burn down the world to try to figure out how we can launch the rocket out of this thing and, and hit the moonshot. What are we doing instead? Well, I think instead, I think like this digging a hole or building a ladder concept. Yep. I like them. Digging a hole is what we're all used to. And it's kind of how a lot of startups start. It's kind of hard to avoid this part where we're going to go backward. We're going to create debt. We're going to create a company that makes no money, not take a salary or have any sort of active income in order to hopefully be further ahead in the future. Now, that's fine. That's kind of how we all start. But here's the difference. There's one end of the spectrum where it says, I'm going to have to dig some hole in order to hopefully get out of it. Yes. There's another end of the spectrum, which is all I'm going to do is dig holes. <laughs> I'm going to keep digging holes. I'm going to keep loading up with more debt, more venture, whatever, in hopes that somehow magically I'll get out of it. And when you do, when it does happen, it makes for an awesome story right? Yeah. It looks cool. You get on the cover of magazines. I don't make magazines anymore, but back when they did, you'd be on the cover of one. And it was awesome. What you didn't hear about were the 98% of other founders where that didn't happen to. Yeah. They just dug the grave for their business. Yeah. It's just the giant grave that they dug for themselves, you know, yeah. as much as the business. Yeah, for sure. And so while it's this strategy is endemic to what we do, it doesn't have to be the only path. And I loved what you said, where you said, here's a founder who should have been perfectly on the right path, but has deluded themselves that they can't dig a big enough hole with this path, right? You mean it could actually make money and you could actually build a business <laughs> that yeah. provides for you and your family yeah. and probably make a ton of money and become a millionaire? That sounds like a shitty plan. <laughs> Let's get out of that. But there was a happy ending to that story. So he did decide to pursue the idea. I haven't talked to him about a year, maybe two now and I'm losing time due to COVID probably two years since I've spoken with him, but uh, talked to him the first time, like five years ago. I remember it distinctly. It was the first time I did a clarity call with my feet in the pool. Oh man. It was not the last time. It was not the last yeah. time I did that, <laughs> but it was the first time. 
and and he's gone on to uh, to grow this to a fairly significant business and and significant in the sense that he's now putting away you know decent money on the margin and doing something he really really enjoys like polar opposite of what he's doing before and was absolutely super happy the last time we talked and and he was glad that he decided to pursue it despite the fact that it probably never will be a a mega exit business but again like he can continue to stack 100 200 400 700,000 a year away that becomes super super meaningful right so that's his ladder it's so many levels and by the way you can still sell the business right like you know if, if there's an opportunity down the road you can still sell it and i think that's that's a bit of what we're trying to really get at here is again we've developed this mentality that I guess I have to go in lots of debt or take on a lot of venture, et cetera. And that's the only way to kind of get to where I want to go. And that's just not true. And what happens is we have a lot of founders that we spend time with, that we coach and advise through different things. And they've just sort of come, gotten into this industry thinking, I guess that's what everybody has to do. I guess I have to do that. That's the, the, the cost of doing business. And we say, like, it's an option. You, you could do it. You can do it that way. But, you don't but have there's to. probably actually some better options. There's some yeah. better ways to go. I've been on both sides where I've dug the hole and I've built the ladder. And if I really look back at it, when I was digging the hole, I just went into it blindly. I was like, business needs capital. I need to scale this thing, et cetera. And it needs a big exit. And I never took the time. And no one ever pulled me aside and said, does it? Right? Like, is, is that actually the best outcome? Yeah, this, this thing that you are, this fundamental point that you are using to drive most of your business decisions is one that you never really considered whether this was important or not, right? It was like, did we ever stop to say, do I need to, or better yet, should I do this? And it's amazing. But yeah, I think to your point, people just sort of fall into this startup bloodstream and they're like, well, everybody seems to be swimming this way. We're just all going that direction. I guess I'll do this same thing too, which is ironic given that most of us jump into entrepreneurship because we want to do things differently, right? right. <laughs> like the reason we want to start a company is like, I don't want to do this uh, the same way that other people are doing this. How do I do this like everybody else, right? Like, really? Come on, guys. I think the blind devotion part is what bothers me. It's not that that those paths don't have outcomes that work. In many cases, you do need to raise capital in order to scale a business, et cetera. This is, this is by no means an, an anti-capital rent. What this is, is at what point are we accomplishing our goals? If what we're saying is, I'm going to go all or nothing, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do in order to get the big exit, and I'll kind of put off everything until then. And there's a lot of deferred living issues and things like that, but save that for another podcast. But... I'm going, to go, I'm going to choose to go down that path. We had to, at some point, ideally, have had a conversation to say, well, what about the other paths? Are the other paths viable? And what cracks me up is I talk to founders, and every now and again, they'll pull me aside, and they'll say, you know, I feel bad saying this, but I think I could just run this as a profitable business. It'll take <laughs> right? me longer, but I think I could do it. And what's funny, it's a confession Ryan, it comes <laughs> in the form of an apology, right? Like, it's like, oh, man, really? You don't need to feel bad about this. Quite the opposite. You should feel great that you discovered that. Years ago, I was with a bunch of founders. And, and at the time, I was, I was a young founder. There was a time. And they were all much older than me. And I was trying to explain to them, because I just thought they didn't get it, that what I was going to do is I was going to invest a bunch of cash. And I was going to basically work for nothing. And I was going to take the business to a point where in three to five years, we could potentially sell it. 
and one of the old geezers who's probably as old as I am now, just made this like <laughs> what I thought was kind of a sarcastic response and said, or you could just make money. <laughs> I was right. Like, I was like, what, how, oh. what, what are you even talking about? And he's like, look, I started my business X years ago. Every year it makes money. Every year I get rich. Every year I have whatever you're calling an exit. Do I make a hundred million dollars when I do it? No, but guess what? I actually make it unlike you. Unlike and, you. And if you do yep. make it great, but why make that the only path? And I, yeah, exactly. Why, why defer that? If that is, that's really what we're chasing. If the money is what you're chasing at that point, the big pile of cash is what you're chasing. Why defer creating it until some future and very uncertain date if you can start creating it now. Also, I think that we need to dispel the notion that these two things are somehow completely opposite directions, right? You can do both. And you said it before, but I want to point out again, like you can take money off the table. You can make money and still grow and sell the business or have some kind of meaningful exit. But it's not a binary approach where it's like, well, I'm going to choose this path, that path, right? It's not red pill, red pill, blue pill situation. You can do both, right? And, and I would certainly suggest that you at least do the one, right? the one that's far more practical and probable. Here's what we're really talking about. For investors, more specifically VCs, because I'm going to take angel investors off the, off the table here because they have a lot more pliability on, on what an exit looks like to them. Hell, they can take distributions, which VCs can't do. But from a VC playbook standpoint, you have to go back to their motivations. And I'm not saying their motivations are wrong. That's just how a VC is built. A VC starts by taking money from limited partners with the promise that they'll be able to have a huge return within seven to 10 years, which means they have to have huge exits to make up for all the horrible bets that they're in, invariably going to make, which they expect to make. Make highly risky bets. They put a ton of money in it, and it has to return one or two out of the portfolio that make up for all the others. So when we say we're going to build a business with this you know, go big or go home mentality of it has to be massive, et cetera. What we're really talking about is their needs, the VC's needs, not necessarily our needs. Because what you get into is for a founder, you could say, Ryan, there's a bunch of different outcomes that could happen here. Outcome one is you make a million dollars a year forever. Year after year, you make a million dollars. Outcome two is you have a $10 million exit. Outcome three is you have a $500 million exit. Forget the probabilities for a second. What you would say is, I like all of them. <laughs> like, I'm cool with wherever that goes. That sounds sweet. Yes, please. D, all of the, any of the above, right? Yeah, right. Except from an investor standpoint, particularly venture, they don't have that optionality. The making a million dollars a year does not work for the way their, their fund works. $10 million, et cetera, is a base hit. It actually doesn't return anything. It's as good as a, a failure to them. The big one is the only one that matters. And that's just the way their fund mechanics work. Again, no one's fault. But once we say, I only want to go that track, we're then basically signing up for their plan and their smaller list of options, not ours. And I think that gets lost. It does. And I think that to back up on something I was saying before, which is that this isn't binary. It's not binary until you make it binary, right? But if you do choose something like the venture capital path, then it does become kind of binary. And you have now chosen to say that like, look, I have to aim for the big exit. This is the deal that I made. This is what I entered into. I have to aim for the big exit because that's what serves the partner that I chose to take on, right? And so yes, you can force it into a binary outcome. 
I'm saying from the very beginning, it's not. Uh, but there are certainly situations that you end up in where it becomes uh, more binary, or there's a whole lot of, to unwind if it if it's not going to right. It's going to be seen as a failure by by the partners you've taken on and so forth. We also make those commitments in many different ways long before we ever get into the partner meeting at a VC pitch, right? We do it when we take on staff and they say, I'm, I'm going to work for equity. And you say, your equity is going to be worth X amount someday, right? And kind of put that in their head. We do it when we take on angel investors and we say, hey, we're going to do a safe note and we're going to defer the valuation until we do a professional round later. We've kind of just told everybody like, like where this thing is going. And incidentally, by way of that, taking some of our options off the table. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. But mentally, what we don't do very often, we keep coming back to this, is we don't say, is that really my only option? <laughs> yeah. So, Is that my best option? You know, by the way, I just want to mention, if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day, every day, working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find. You know, head over to groups.startups.com and let's just start talking. Let's shift gears a little bit. And let's talk about, you know, what we like to call the get rich, not quickly scheme. <laughs> get yeah. rich over time scheme. Yeah. Here's what that looked like for me early in my career. You know, I'm running an agency and there's nothing sexy about an agency. Like there's no big kind of like bona fide moment. It's you bill humans for time and next year you bill more humans for more time and you hopefully get paid as you do it. But here's what got interesting. In the first few years, I mean, the first few years you made nothing. That, you know, that, that's your investment period. But after that, once we started to turn the corner a little bit, we got like a $100,000 check and that's tantamount to a salary. Right. So it felt great to even have it, you know, when sure. we were like early 20s, that felt like a billion dollars. It does. But that wasn't just it. It wasn't that first check that really made me go, oh, this is interesting. It was the next year and the next year and the next year. It wasn't until like the fourth year where I looked around and I'm like, we're going to make that again? Yeah, I'm starting to see a pattern here. This keeps <laughs> happening every year. It's like Christmas. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you got to that point where like that first bit of cash, uh, you maybe you bought a house or you bought your furniture, went on vacation, you paid off your college debt, whatever it is that you might have done. And you're like, God oh, damn, that's a, that's like, that's really interesting because I thought that's what I was going to need a big exit for. <laughs> exactly. But what got most interesting was that the next year when you got way more money and you actually needed it less, and then you did this crazy thing, you put it in investments and those started to make money, right? Not a ton at a time, but you were getting decent returns, but they kept on coming. We talk about this as it's some like fairy tale thing. Again, I keep saying 99% of the rest of the world, this is exactly how this works. I think in startup land, we don't talk about this very much, which is why we're talking about it. And I think we get into this thing where it's like a big exit and it's like, dude, do you know what would happen? If you had one of these sizable checks every quarter, every year, et cetera, it reminds me of an interview I saw Jason Calacanis do a really long time ago. I think like maybe in 2007 with uh, DHH from Basecamp. You know, Basecamp had just blown up by that point. They were doing pretty well. But it was early. Uh, I mean, God, that was almost 15 years ago. <laughs> we count. And so Jason is trying to grill uh, David about how 
the, the company couldn't be bigger. Like why you could take on, you know, venture capital, oh, yeah. you could do all these things, have big exits. And See David was just going. sat there resolute. <laughs> and finally, when Jason actually gave him a chance to speak, he said, look, man, we make money every single year. And he's like, yeah, but it could be this. And he goes, stop right there. He goes, it adds up. And what are you saying? It's like, yeah, maybe I make a couple million dollars a year, which is nothing to sneeze at. But if I make it for 20 years and it keeps going up every year. It's a big exit. That's an exit. That you got to enjoy the entire way, right? Entire you run. had the benefit of that entire time, right? So exactly. I, I think that there's, it's not only the, the get rich quick thing, right? Because that's part of it. But it's the get rich all at once, right? And I think that there, there's something that sort of feels good about that until you really break down what that means. Getting rich all at once means being poor until then. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so don't do that. You don't need to do that. I'm going to circle back to a point you made really early on that was that was fantastic, which is that we don't have to keep digging, right? We we can we we all have to dig a little at the beginning, right? Very rarely is it just that like, oh hey, I have all this extra money and time laying around. Let me start a startup, right? Most of us have to 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 make some sacrifices to make that work. You said something that was so spot on, which is that at some point, and and sort of the sooner the better, we can say, let's at least decelerate the digging. And let's start building that ladder. Let's do, let's choose to not only dig, right? We can keep digging and we can keep building. We can keep doing all this stuff, but let's not trade off every bit of personal gain forever in the hopes that we get this big get rich all at once event, simply because we assume that that will compound into something larger if we do that. That just patently mathematically isn't true. I mean, certainly what we see in startup land will, gives us plenty of evidence to the, to the contrary as well. And so, you know, point well taken, Will. I think that the, this, this idea, again, that we're going to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, and somehow that's, that's what we need to be aiming for, as opposed to building the entire time and, and benefiting the entire time. You know, to DHH's point, yeah, it's only, it's, only, it's only a couple million dollars a year. Sorry for everybody who's still pre-revenue that's listening to this and going, <laughs> fuck you, Ryan. <laughs> yes, well, it's only a couple million dollars a year. But it adds up, right? To his point, it adds up and it will continue to do that. And it, it changes so many other things in life. I know I'm, I'm ranting on here, but give me one more, give me one more second here because there was something else you said that was important. You make more money each year, hopefully, right? Like generally, this is sort of the way it goes. You, you find ways to, to continue to grow the business, make a little more each year, a little or a lot more each year. Let's say you go from one to two to three to four to five, whatever a year, hundreds of thousands of dollars, we'll, we'll call it. You said something else that was really important in all of that, which is that you needed a little less, right? So there's, this, there's these two factors, right? There's your income is going up. And some of those debts that you incurred early on while you were growing, this may be well before startup, this could have been a mortgage you took on, this could be student debt, could be whatever, right? That stuff starts to get chewed up pretty quickly as those cash amounts stack up and these larger and larger checks start to come in without the big exit, right? Just these, these normal distributions on an annual basis. All of a sudden you need that money even less. And so the, the value of that, right? You may have needed almost all of that. Like the first time you get to that $150,000 mark, let's say, yeah, that's great. But that just got me back to break even. That stopped you the bleeding. all of it. Right? And then 250, right? So now I'm like, okay, now I'm getting ahead. Now I'm chewing at some of that back debt, right? Now it's not all spoken for. Now some of that rolls off. And in year three, I don't have anything that I really owe anymore. Maybe it's year four or five. And now all of that is coming straight to personal bottom line. This is where it gets really interesting, right? 
it does get interesting because what happens is instead of stacking debt, you're now compounding wealth. And it doesn't take much for that to have a massive effect. I'll give you another example. It just comes to mind of that, that route in between when you're supposed to be making money later. In other words, you think the big exit's on the horizon, but it's been a long time since that's happened. I can, I can name dozens of examples, but I'll give one. And I got to leave names out of it just, be, just to protect the innocent on this. But a, a friend of mine that I watched build what's now, I think, a $40 billion company from scratch. I'll never forget this. Years ago, I'm at their headquarters, and I was just catching up with them, seeing how things were going. And he said, hey, I'm actually about to get married, et cetera. He's really excited about it. He's a uh, you know, relatively young guy and a whole life ahead of him. And we're sitting in their cafeteria at the company. And wow. It's what sort of weird dystopian past are you describing? Well, there was a cafeteria where people sat and ate together. What is this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the days of yore when, when people went to, to office buildings. But there was a massive number of people there in, in the cafeteria. And it was like the best of everything, you know, very Silicon Valley. And he looks at me. And he said, I don't actually know what it costs to feed everybody today, but I can tell you this, I can't afford my wedding. And, and I'll never oh, forget man. like yes. that moment where he's like, <laughs> oh. it's going great for uh, everyone else. Yep. <laughs> right? yep. I haven't gotten paid. Now, they haven't gone public yet. They will. It'll be massive. He'll be a billionaire, what have you. But the point <laughs> is, at the time, and this, it was a long run for him. I mean, it's, it's at least a decade which a lot of people are like, oh, decades, nothing, you know, to, to compare to what you'll get paid. Yeah. If you get paid, yeah, if let's hit on, let's hit on, let's hit on that point because yes, you could forego having it pay for your wedding and still not get the billion dollars. That is not a trade-off that you can say with any certainty pays you back, right? It's not like if I do this, then I get that. It is not if then logic folks, it's if maybe, and that's a big ass, maybe he would have killed at that moment to have had actual income that was representing what his business was actually doing. Sure. And, and, and I'm just using that to point out that we tend to think that once I'm on billion dollar track or anything else like that, that everything must be figured out. And it's like, it's actually still not figured out in most cases. Many, many, many venture funded founders are broke personally, even though the company on paper is supposed to be worth a, a ton of money. And that's, that's part of it. Now, look, to be fair, they don't have a, a monopoly in that position. I know just as many bootstrap founders that are awfully <laughs> yep. broke as yep. their company is paying a lot of payroll, right? So again, it's not one or the other. The point is this whole, if I dig the hole, I'm getting paid back and I'm getting paid back soon. It's kind of bullshit. Uh, at some point, we have to look at the business and say, I kind of like the plan where I sort of get paid now if I can, right? If that's even an option. Stick with that for a second and, and go back in time to that, that conversation or this visit. You're, you're sitting in the cafeteria eating really nice food uh, that should have been served at that wedding instead. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Did he indicate at that point, was he, was he clear on the fact, obviously he knew he wasn't getting paid because he called it out, but was he clear or did he provide reason as to why he felt that was necessary in that moment? Like, was it to not get paid? Yeah, to not get paid. Like, I mean, because he could have chosen to get paid. Could have, you know, there, there were things he could have done, obviously. He could have, could have taken this build a ladder approach that we're talking about. What in the moment was his justification for not doing that? In their case, given the nature of the business they had, it was so wildly capital intensive that there was just no way you're going to be able to do what they were trying to do without a filthy amount of capital. 
And with that filthy amount of capital came the hole where you just had to dig and hope and pray. And, and it's going to work out for him. Again, he's going to be a very wealthy man. But he's also been at it for like 12 years. And this isn't the first case. I'm sure some of the folks listening, because I know some of the folks that listen, I know some of their situations can appreciate this because we've had some very hard conversations where they're like, dude, I'm 10 years into this and I've yet to get paid. I know VCs who are 10 years into their job and say, I've, I've never seen a single check beyond my paycheck, right? I've, I've never seen a distribution check from any of the profits or you know, any of the exits, et cetera. But it's stuff that people generally don't talk about. So in, in my mind, I think part of what's missing in kind of the dialogue here is not just how do I you know, make these big grand slam home runs, but what does my base hit approach look like? How do I get to some base hits so that I can make sure that I'm around long enough that if the home run doesn't hit, that I still have a great business, that I still have a great outcome. I don't think we have to be consigned to a lifestyle that says I either do all of it or I get nothing at all. Because Ryan, you and I live this firsthand. Most of the people get nothing at all. And I just don't feel comfortable, you know, kind of supporting this narrative that says that's the only way to go. It sounds cool. It sounds noble. I think it sounds fun, but it's just not very realistic. <laughs> I think yeah. That's what concerns me a little bit. I had the pleasure of forcing a founder sometime last week to celebrate a moment just like this, which was that they had gotten to a point where he made a decision. He, we were we were on a call and going over some initiatives that he wanted to look at doing in marketing and in the sales front and how they could increase revenue. And that was going to mean that he was going to continue to draw. He draws a salary, but it's been extremely, extremely low. And it's it forces them into drawing from their their family savings in order for them to do this to make ends meet. Uh, they're drawing down, and they have been for two years on the family savings. And so we went through and did some math and said, well, you know, what if we what if you took a different approach to this? And long and short, he made a decision to to actually get the salary to a point at the expense of a little bit of potential growth because these were going to be some new channels new initiatives without a proven ROI. And so he took the proven, I'm going to stop taking money out of my savings account instead of the speculative uh, marketing growth. And it wasn't a one-for-one -one trade. He didn't have to forego all of the increased marketing spend. But he was having a really hard time with this. After making the decision, uh, he was having a really hard time that he had just sacrificed the growth of his company for, for his own benefit. And I said, isn't that a big part of what we're doing here is your benefit. Like, why are you building this again? Cause you know, your product isn't out to save the world, right? It's, right. Yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not one of those kind of products, right? This isn't like clean water for everyone, right? It's not that. So it took a little bit of pushing and finally got to the point where he's like, okay, this is really great. And, and it took looking at it in a couple different ways. One of, one of them was this now gives them infinite personal runway to keep running the business. And, and you and I have talked about this before, how important this notion is that, you know, businesses don't go out of money. They don't go broke. Founders go broke, right? When you can't make ends meet or when that, when that savings account dries up, game over, right? You, you don't get to, the, the, the street lights came on, Timmy, you got to go home. <laughs> it's, it's over. <laughs> so this was, to me, this was a huge milestone for him and the family and the business because now he is safe and he can just aim for those base hits and not worry about it, right? Each base hit is going to have a beautiful cumulative effect to what that business does, knowing that he's already able to stay in the game as long as he needs to. Yeah, and I think from a founder standpoint, 
we shouldn't be ashamed of base hits. Like, what the hell happened here? Like, <laughs> how is building a profitable business like not considered good enough? And again, I love the big hits. I love the big outcomes. I love telling those stories, right? And, I, and, I'm, and I'm so proud of the, of the folks that have done it, right? However, I'm equally proud of the folks that didn't. <laughs> like all my neighbors around me who just built a business like you're supposed to by making profit every year. And they've got a ton of jack, right? They're doing really well because they just focus on how a business is actually supposed to operate. Yeah, exactly. I would just, I would like us to be at a point with startups within the startup narrative that it's not about uh, big, like, you know, dig my hole and, you know, potentially get a big exit. I like it to look something like this. I want an outcome. I want to have this lifestyle for myself, my family, you know, whatever our goals are. These are my goals. I don't care how I get there. I don't care if it's a small business, a big business. I don't care how I get there. I just have to get there. And I'm going to look at every possible option. I'm not going to shoehorn myself into what a couple people have as their only options, like the VCs. And whether it's base hits or home runs, I just want to score runs. That's all I care about. And that's what I'm focused on. All right. So that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.